Hello, Alan. Good morning, Richard. How are you? I'm not too bad, thank you very much. And yourself? Good, thank you. Yes. When we've spoken before, we've thought about vulnerability after having had a brain injury. And we spoke at some length about vulnerability online and uh, using the internet and social media. And that got us to thinking about other types of vulnerability. And I know in particular, one thing we thought might be useful to talk about and share with other people was that about vulnerability in society at large. Um, that might include going out into public places, um, uh, places where alcohol might be being sold, places where we might be financially vulnerable. And I wondered if we could maybe talk today about that. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, and like you say, we, we did speak of this last time. And, and I think anyone with a brain injury or some sort of uh, neurological uh, disadvantage um, I think the word vulnerable could could cover a number of topics and a number of areas, and I, I think I think that term being that the door wide open is sort of like the door's kind of not even on the hinges. And what I mean by that is like we we're open to quite a lot of vulnerability in in many different areas because we haven't got that that kind of part of the brain that uh, can help us identify being put into um, like a dangerous situation. What do you? What do you mean by that, Alan? Because I think it's a really interesting point. I think I understand what you mean, but it it might be useful for us to clarify by identifying some of those kind of risks. It's almost like our ability to look at a situation or, or look at a person or a thing and consider what the risks might be. Is that what you mean? Yeah, and there's there's kind of a number of factors in which I could kind of go into on on different podcasts to help explain to like different people in different areas. But like for example, brain injury is is not is not that very well um, publicised and it's it's not very much out there. Uh, like I referred to in one of my podcasts previously, that the first time I heard of a brain injury is when I woke up out of the coma and I'd been told that I've got one. So then. Not only was I learning about a brain injury, I was then trying to cope with actually having a brain injury. So I think I think kind of like in society, because not many people are aware of the disability, uh, not many people know how to react to someone with a brain injury because because as well, people with brain injuries can can have so many different and unique kind of like dysfunctions in themselves. And, and I don't mean that rudely. I mean that we, a hundred of us could have the same sort of like brain injury, but because the brain has been affected in different ways and all of our neurons move in different ways, that each and every one of us will have something different from the next one. Yeah, it's almost as if no two brains are the same, Alan. So if you have an injury, um, if I had an injury to my brain, um, it may be classified as a similar type as it, of, of injury as it as for someone else, but the effects of it might be very different. Is that what you were? Is is that what you're kind of suggesting? Yes, that's that's better worded, Richard. Yeah, I completely agree on that. That's that's what I was trying to put across. Yeah, and it, but I think it's a really important point, isn't it? Because when we're talking like this and sharing this information with other people, uh, then people might make assumptions about what a brain injury is or what it's like. Um, they may have had experienced a brain injury and therefore. Um, make certain inferences or judgments about what that might be like for other people. Those things might be accurate, but but they may be different too. I think that's important to to probably say. When we talk about vulnerability, then one thing that you implied earlier, which I thought was 
really helpful, which was around um, that interaction between people. That if you're out in uh, a setting, uh, maybe hanging out with people who don't know much about brain injury, that there may be certain risks associated with that that might be different if you're around people who did understand your brain injury. And I think about the difference between maybe going out with family and friends, people who know you very well, um, as opposed to people that just don't know you and don't know anything about your brain injury. And I wondered if you could say a bit about those two different scenarios and what the issues might be. Yeah, so yeah, so for example, let's let's take the kind of let's take the green side of of what you're referring to, Richard. And what I mean by that is the kind of the more healthier side. So I could go down to a coffee shop and I could get talking to any old random people because I'm quite quite a big socializer, like you know, and I, I can just kind of like kind of be like invited to like a conversation or something said and I might comment on it and then obviously I'm a part of the conversation and and some people look at me and think oh there's there's nothing wrong with you but then when I tell them oh I've, I've got like a brain injury they're like oh really and then they kind of they're quite interested in find out what a brain injury is and how it is how how it is that I suffer and nine out of ten times the people that I obviously educate um, are really well surprised because they say that how how I come across, how I talk, how I present myself, blah, 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 which is quite nice and is, is is a nice compliment in a way. But then there are other times, for example, if we go more close to the amber or the red lighting, um, and what I mean by that is if I go into like a pub, club or a bar, where obviously the volume around myself and everyone else is distracted by music and other conversations because there could be alcohol and in some cases drugs uh, involved the people you're talking to are are probably less aware of what's going on or what's being said themselves um and obviously we all know what it's like to go out with a bunch of friends and have sort of like an extra 20 30 quid in our pocket that alcohol becomes a little bit of a um all-inclusive holiday and drinks are being thrown everywhere and everyone then becomes unaware of what they really are doing and for me that makes it even worse Certainly, if it's me that's the one that's intoxicated, not not only do I lose the ability of the awareness, uh, I lose the ability of being able to uh, judge a certain uh, scenario. So if I was put in danger, um, like any man kind of thing, that kind of like uh, he-man kind of like medicine that alcohol can be, can make you turn you into like Superman and think you can take on the world. Obviously, in my situation, that's not the case at all. I'm, I'm best to leave those... Uh, scenes behind me kind of thing rather than waiting for to be punched in the face or something and I think when alcohol is involved it's almost like many of these risks just escalate because um, it's not just the effect of that on on yourself um, and um, it's maybe one for another podcast but it might be about how more how much more susceptible we are to the influence of alcohol after a brain injury from a, a physiological point of view and therefore, as you, I think, implied, you may become intoxicated more quickly. But so there's that element to it. But there's also a kind of a broader aspect of being around other people and being in those kind of places where uh, lots lots of people are hanging out. And you know fewer, you know fewer people. Uh, you maybe know them less well. One thing we did, Alan, I don't know whether you remember this, it was many years ago, um, as part of your rehabilitation, actually, it was 
when you were going back out into those environments again, we had we had those lists, didn't we? So we had people who were on a green list who knew you very well, um, knew about your in- brain injury and probably understood it pretty well, who we considered to be quite low risk. We had an amber list of people who knew you less well, maybe knew a little bit about you and were familiar with you from the past, um, but didn't know that much about your brain injury. Um, and therefore we were less c- certain about them and how they might respond to you, how they might um, either increase or decrease your vulnerability. And then we had a red list of people. And the red list of people were people that we knew were probably not a good um, uh, not a good influence. So they were either likely to take advantage of the fact that they knew you'd had a brain injury or just not take account of it at all. And I don't know, leave you in the middle of Brighton or somewhere at 2am, not really thinking about um, how that how risky that might be. I don't know if you remember those lists, Alan, and whether or not something like that, yeah, do, do, do you think you've, you've found that helpful? Yeah, so obviously I, I remember those kind of lists very well kind of thing. They're kind of like, they're like embedded in my brain and their memories that, that that kind of I'm able to remember to help help myself not kind of falling back into these uh, scenarios. But yeah, there was there was a, there was a few basically that I was never told who I couldn't or can kind of go out with, which was quite nice. But at the same time, I had that I then had to kind of take that initiative on what kind of friends am I going out? Are they green, yellow, or, or red kind of like listed friends? And like you say, the, the red ones are the ones that the parents and the support that I had didn't really want me going out with for a number of reasons and like you listed because they could get me more intoxicated because they could take advantage of me um blah 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 um but obviously being a young guy obviously wanting to gain friends and wanted to hold on to as many friends as possible I was kind of that guy that used to go out sometimes and be the one that's got like unlimited kind of like cash on him kind of thing and everyone was like taking me for a ride and using my bank card as if it was an all-inclusive holiday which which isn't the case at all but that's how they used to get around me and use me um and there were a number of times I was left left in the middle of nowhere not knowing where I was completely drunk and having to call my my father um but at that time of night like you say 2am 3am in the morning isn't isn't very pleasant being woken up but obviously because because he's very protective of me um didn't even consider thinking about coming to collect me. He did come and collect me kind of thing too, because I was very vulnerable. But like you say, I had I had kind of protection in place, which would make the support on the night at the time be very aware, not so much aware, or not even kind of on site sort of thing. So if I used to go out with grand, green friends, let's say, they knew that I was with people that know me for a long time, knew my brain injury pretty well, and how it's changed me as a person. So they were more, they were more able to kind of like judge when I'm when I'm tipsy and I should stop drinking and when I need a glass of water or when it's time to go home or when I'm getting tired. Um, because obviously a few of the things that we listed in our podcasts like make me vulnerable as a person. And um yeah, my friends that were in the green list were more able to to recognize when these vulnerabilities were coming more to the surface. And do you think, Anna, because one thing that I remember us doing and trying to sort of think back because it was a long time ago, wasn't it? And we don't necessarily refer to those lists anymore. Uh, But 
we used it almost like a matrix. So it was almost like if you went out with someone and we knew that they fell in the red sort of list, um, we would have to ensure that there was also someone around you who was from the green list in order to balance out that risk. Um, if there were kind of various people who were from the amber list, that, that might be helpful. Um, but we couldn't necessarily rely on those people that, that much. Uh, so we would, the, the green people were kind of high premium people, weren't they? Because we knew that they would probably not, you know, it wasn't guaranteed, but they would probably be vigilant about your level of vulnerability and how things might change in the course of an evening, how intoxicated you were. Um, but of course they were out to have a good time too. So we couldn't rely a hundred percent on that, but it seemed to work quite well a lot of the time i'm thinking as well and one thing that i noticed with the as healthcare professionals we think about risk quite a lot whereas for many young people who are going out to pubs and clubs etc they might not really think about these risks that much and looking back do you think you thought about them that much did they seem that important at the time um obviously because because i was quite young at the early stage of my recovery um i don't think i could honestly say that i did ever think of the risks being as as high as what they were but obviously looking back in hindsight and being an adult that i am now and looking back i think i was i think it was very silly at times uh i think i made uh immature decisions um i did hang around with the the wrong people um yeah if if i kind of knew back then what i know now i think i could be 10 times better than man because i would have avoided a lot of situations that i got in through being young silly and wanting to experience life like like a normal teenage kid would do but i was i was always forgetting that i i had that that brain injury badge label whatever you want to call it over my shoulders which which sometimes I try to forget about, but it doesn't matter how how hard you try to forget about it, it'll always be there. Sadly, obviously, it, my brain was injured, and I, I have to live with it and work around it, not against it. Do you think, Alan, that always that you mentioned about forgetting that that you'd had a brain injury, which might seem odd to some people because they might think, well, how do you forget that? But maybe it's not just about forgetting; it's also about just being aware of it, isn't it? In certain situations, and the question that I was going to ask you was, do you think that vulnerability, do you think that is vulnerability? Or do you think vulnerability is also about maybe not being able to understand other people? So you talked about being able, being able to identify risks, to look at a situation or a group of people or a person and think, right, okay, this is quite risky. Do you think that was affected by your brain injury as well as not being necessarily able to understand what had changed in you yeah so i think i think so like accepting that you have a brain injury is is quite a big part of anyone to accept and anyone to kind of give into and, and say like oh, okay right i have got a brain injury i need to sort of like slow down be safer be more careful be a bit more vigilant uh, maybe plan my life a little bit better uh, and i'm not saying that you need to be kind of like like a prisoner kind of like handcuffed to someone 24 seven and be looked after and watched everything you do. But I think, I think being aware of what you can and can't do, um, is a big part of being able to move forward and progress 
with your brain injury. Um, I'm the kind of person where I'm not kind of like, I don't usually give in. And a lot of people who know me, um, I'm probably one of the most stubborn people you'll ever meet when it comes to like giving in or giving up or sort of like saying I surrender kind of thing. I'll, I'll kind of fight to the last the, the last punch I can throw or to the last like, the last minute I'm, I'm on my foot kind of thing. But it after after being able to accept that I had a brain injury and I'm not the exact guy that was I was before my brain injury, I felt that my my rehabilitation just suddenly sped up in the sense of I was more honest to myself. I was more honest in my abilities. I was more honest in what I couldn't do. Like things just become much more easier because I kind of not so much accepted the brain injury because there's no such thing as accepting it and there's no such thing as remembering or forgetting that you've got a brain injury. But I think being able to um, be aware of what, you are unable to do i think is a big help of being able to list them how vulnerable or not so vulnerable that you are that's a really interesting point alan and that, that whole that that word acceptance that you use is i think going to have a lot of uh, resonance for many people and potentially for some people who are listening to this they might be curious as to how long that process took for you and 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 it may be a very difficult question because it may not be possible to pinpoint when those things change that you're describing but looking back because you're looking at back at this with a great deal of hindsight how do you now think about that when do you think you got to a point where maybe you were starting to get better at recognizing some of these changes that were associated with your brain injury. Uh, so obviously, when when I kind of woke up out of the coma, like I, I would say that I kind of I had accepted um, that I had a brain injury to a point, but like I say, because I'm one of these stubborn guys that very rarely gives up until unless I really kind of have to, sort of thing. It, it was it was big for me to kind of let go and actually say, right, okay, I've got to wave the white flag. Um, I know my dad. Um, for a number of years, always used to say, oh, it's about time you kind of accepted you got a brain injury and it's about time you accept you got a brain injury and it's about time you got accepted a brain injury. And it's like, that used to kind of uh, annoy me a little bit because I had accepted it. I had kind of like tattooed it on my body that, so that it's never going to disappear and it's never just going to suddenly vanish or be able to be washed off or it's just going to heal overnight. Like, it annoyed me from the sense that I, I accepted what I have what I've lost and kind of what I could be. Um, but it was more about, I think for me is, is maturing a little bit because obviously at the age that I was, uh, I wasn't quite an adult, but I wasn't a teenager. I was kind of, I was in that kind of middle, middle group of kind of changing from one group to the other group. And I, I think, I think I needed to uh, make a few mistakes, um, errors and, uh, bad choices uh, to not only be able to learn from them, but then to be more um, acceptant to seeking and looking for advice. Um, and then I would say I didn't start 
truly accepting I had a brain injury, if, if this is a term we want to use, um, until I was about 30, 32. And, and the reason why I say that is because there was many times in my uh, recovery where I felt things were kind of like plateauing, but something big would happen, whether it be I'd had like fits that was down to myself for making silly choices or breakups with girlfriends um, over silly reasons or uh, getting told off in the wrong areas for chatting to the wrong people and the wrong type of language. Um, and I think because I'd experienced all them, for what I felt was in my um, minor adult life, I think I then turned around and said to myself, maybe I should start listening that bit more to people that are experts and are offering me advice in the professional world uh, to see if it would help change, um, which I tried doing. Um, and then this wasn't working because I was still making hiccups. They weren't as often, but they were still coming about. And then, and then I was in, introduced uh, to a new professional um, who I felt I kind of got on well with from the from day one when I met him. Um, and we were discussing something, and he then he then kind of um, suggested a drug that, again, I wouldn't have kind of accepted, and I, I was a little bit resistant at first. But when when we kind of agreed to trial it and if I didn't need it we would reduce it but if I really needed it then we would increase it I think that's when I think then that's when my full acceptance of that I had a brain injury fully come about because I believe this this medication kind of slowed my brain down a little bit um did whatever it did with the chemicals within my brain and then and then helped me kind of understand and realize that kind of a lot of my thoughts were impulsive Impulsivity and risk, are they, they tend to come hand in hand, Alan, I think. We often as psychologists, as healthcare professionals, we're very aware of the some of the perils of impulsivity. And, and of course, we can all be impulsive from time to time, but we know that possibility is increased after a certain types of brain injury. So I think the, the, um, the fact that you've raised that, I think, is really important. The other thing that struck me as you were talking, Alan, was that you were you were reflecting on your past behavior particularly when you were quite young after your injury and describing it as being silly and immature and maybe hanging around the wrong people and making some bad decisions but it got me to thinking that maybe we all do that when we're young and that's kind of part of learning that's kind of how we learn about things like vulnerability it's how we learn about ourselves it's how we learn about relationships so I know you're being kind of quite hard on yourself there a little bit, Alan, probably in order to make a point about the stages of recovery. Um, but I think it is worth pointing that out, that depending upon people's age at the time of injury, that they're going to be going through these normal um, life stage transitions anyway. So they will be learning about relationships and learning about social kind of norms and, and activities that's quite that's quite important and it's quite important that people do make mistakes uh, and they often make those during certain stages of their life which enable them to develop as a person i think maybe the important thing that you're reflecting on is doing that with a brain injury can actually be different 
Uh, maybe you feel that took, I don't know, maybe you feel that took longer or um, that you went through the process in a slightly different way. And maybe that's difficult because you don't know any other way. Alan, that's how you did it, really. You did this with a brain injury um, and you've gone on to become far more aware of some of these issues and become much better at managing things around risk and vulnerability um, than maybe you were. With that medication, because that seems to have been quite an important point in this process, it sounds like what you're describing is it kind of slowed things down a little bit. It gave you a little bit more time to make better decisions or judgments. Is that kind of fair? Do you think am I do you think I'm describing that accurately? Yeah, so so, so like you say, we as as kind of like teenagers and kind of grown into senior adults before turning into sort of fully blown adults, like yeah, a lot of us do kind of make mistakes uh, when we kind of when we don't have a brain injury and and we're aware of things and we can change things, whether it be our behaviour, the language we use, or the attitude that we walk around with. But I can certainly say that with a brain injury, this these these kind of like groups and symptoms are not as easy to identify or be able to sort of like refer back to. So you know what to change the next time a similar uh, scenario comes up. So I think, yes, I was kind of maturing a little bit, but I think at the same time, like, like I was learning about a brain injury, like I say, whilst having a brain injury, I believe that my, my impulse decisions were a lot quicker than my uh, mature decisions. That last point, and I'm just writing it down so I can remember it, um, about learning about a brain injury whilst having a brain injury, that as professionals, we often have quite high expectations of people that we can give them information. Um, it maybe reflects on what you're saying about your dad, that your dad would say things to you like, it's about time that you uh, realise that you've had a brain injury and started behaving differently, that maybe sometimes it's relatively easy for other people to see that but actually when you've had a brain injury it's not so easy to do it so you might understand what your dad was saying and you might have understood what healthcare professionals were saying to you but to be able to put that into practice seems like that was much much harder yeah and, I, and again i agree with that because because sometimes like like you say i'd be sitting there listening kind of thing whether it be my dad whether it be yourself richard or other professionals and they're telling me to kind of like do this and try this and maybe don't do that next time it happens and maybe avoid that if you can see that coming and at the time you think oh yeah i remember that i remember that i remember that and obviously i refer back to my earlier stages of recovery again that it was all great and it was it was like hunky-dory that i could listen to it there and then and probably act upon it within that 30, 30 to 60 seconds. Uh, but after that then, like, you might as well, you might have always said that you didn't say that to me because I'd either forgotten or something else kind of caught my eye and my attention went elsewhere. And and my, my ability to be able to kind of remember short-term and long-term information was, was next to none. So I was like trying to piece it all together. What you're describing is actually quite a complex set of uh, processes isn't it being able to assimilate new information uh, think about what someone's saying to you um, think about yourself and previous experiences uh, to put that all together in the moment to form a view is actually I, th I think you take it for granted and Alan, Alan, it's quite a complicated um, 
it's quite a complicated process that and maybe even when we're younger it's hard to do that I maybe mean, there's more and more research now about how ad- ad- how adolescents think um and some of the impulsivity associated with their behavior and we know that obviously as their brain matures and they develop particularly their frontal lobes that those things that integration of those different things that you were just referring to actually becomes more possible when it becomes more possible they can then behave in different ways so they've got a greater range of options available to them um whereas we'll often berate adolescents i know i do my adolescent children um of why didn't you think of that in, in that situation because you already know that that's kind of happened to you before um, but they're not able to do it in the moment and Maybe there are some similarities there. Helen, if someone were to meet you, I'm just wondering, do you think they would know that you'd had a brain injury? Going by sort of like um, past experience with kind of like, say, meeting random people, whether they'd be in a bar, uh, a pub, a cafe, a restaurant, whatever like that, and I and I, and I discuss my, my disabilities and, and who I am as a person, like I say, nine out of ten people would turn around and say, oh, you'd never know, you'd never realise, like, because the way in which you kind of communicate, the way in which you put yourself across, the maturity that you kind of act in, uh, the physique that I've got, like, say, a lot of people, a lot of people would look at me and immediately label me uh, normal. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm coming off subject a little bit here, but there was a number of times where I walked into an interview to be able to apply and receive benefits and there was a number of occasions where the, the doctor or professional that I was seeing thought I looked that well and spoke that well that I was I was written off or being entitled to them and I'm not going to go into it because it's it's part of my private life but obviously I had to then get solicitors and that to appeal to this to turn over the decision mm. but but what I'm trying to say in, in the long-winded way there is not everything is is as good as you see it. It's it's what's on the inside that makes the person. Like, absolutely, and I'm thinking about invisible disability. That that's probably um, a double-edged sword, isn't it? Is that there are probably good things about that in terms of integrating socially um, and how you feel about yourself. But equally, people aren't always going to make allowances for things that for you maybe different or difficult in a way that they might otherwise if they did know about your injury and appearances can be deceptive because part of me thinks that if someone were to find out that you'd had a brain injury who didn't know that there are different types of people aren't there some people would be very curious about that and they'd want to know more other people would be quite inspired by it and think gosh what that's incredible what you've been through Alan and the rehab that you've done and and how well you've done with your life um Whereas other people might see that as being a weakness that they could exploit and that might increase vulnerability in a social context. And we don't know we don't know when we meet people to begin with which of those groups they might fall into. So it comes back to the green, amber and red groups again, doesn't it? Is that certain people are going to be very respectful of that and very supportive. Other people are going to be um, maybe quite ruthless and exploit that as a weakness. And then some people can also use that as um, a way in which to manipulate you. 
Indeed. And I think that manipulation can take different forms, Alan, can't it? It, it can be almost done in such a way that you're not aware of that. Yeah, yeah. And until it's it's maybe too late, uh, or at other times it might be more evident that they're trying to do that. And there's a number of things there, and some of which I'm aware it would be really useful to talk about further. Um, one in particular was around impulsivity and medication, because that's something that you flagged today that I think other people would really find interesting and, and probably want to know more about. And maybe we could do that another in a, in another podcast, and we could think more about that particular aspect of um, vulnerability. But it's been really good to talk to you again today, Alan. Thanks so much for your time, and I look forward to to catching up again soon. Thank you, Richard. Speak soon. <laughs>